good evening. Tonight we have 10 chilling morgue-related stories from morticians and others that have been in contact with the deceased. So, sit back, relax and do enjoy. Number 1 Bizarre one was piecing a guy back together after he committed suicide by gunshot to the face. Family wanted an open casket, so we had to try our best, then ask one family member in to see if they still wanted an open casket, because we just didn't feel like it was right. The dad came in, sees that no matter how we tried, we couldn't make him look the same as before and agrees the family shouldn't see him this way. The day we delivered him to the funeral parlour, the family changes their mind and has open caskets anyway. We found out the rest of the family didn't know he had shot himself in the face. We ended up getting a letter of complaint from other members of the family for the open casket. Number 2 Uncomfortable? Being trapped in the morgue alone during a hurricane. Our morgue was basically in the basement type situation and the hospital was near a main waterway that flooded. I had to move all the bodies to the highest cabinets, pray the generators would keep everyone cold and was standing on my desk for about two hours when someone finally came for me. Bizarre would be drowned guy who was DOA and once locked up in a cabinet, a tapping noise started coming from him. It was a crab that had made itself at home inside him and when it got cold, he wanted out. Creepy was when we got some people who were doing bath salts and had eaten other people. They looked crazy even in death. Number 3 I work in forensics, specifically as an entomologist. I extract insects from decomposing bodies to estimate the time of death or supplement existing evidence. It's as grotesque as an occupation as you can imagine. The most odious cadaver was the particular skeletal remains of an eight-month pregnant mother who gave life to a plethora of maggots, botflies, and moth larvae were consuming her hair like some monstrous funeral shroud. The tiny bones of the baby were disintegrating under the unrelenting feasting of ham beetles as its flesh was too dry for maggots to find purchase. They preferred the malleable flesh of the mother's face and breasts. Observing the corpse, her exposed womb appeared to be giving birth. Many adult beetles were scuttling over her pubic bone and into the cradle of her pelvis. She was supine, her limbs were not splayed in distress, but unfortunately her expression was indiscernible due to divots of bot flies imbued in flesh on her cheeks. Then I began my extraction. It was a drug-induced suicide which encapsulated the tranquility of her and her child's death. Number 4 I had never been in the room with death until my infant daughter passed away last weekend. Congenital brain issue expected death at home. 
She died quite suddenly and I'd always heard that bodies can move and breathe after death. Though I was holding her, she had stopped breathing and she had no heartbeats. We had a stethoscope handy because she was on a feeding tube and we had to check placement. Suddenly she started gasping. She started doing agonal breathing, a completely last ditch brainstem reflex to revive herself. I thought it was just gas at first, then she kept doing it. After about five minutes of being dead and blue and without breathing or heartbeat, she brought herself back completely. Pinked right up, normal heart rate. It was the most incredible and shocking and awful thing I've ever seen in my life. I just wish someone had warned me this was possible. When the hospice nurse got there, she said that dying infants often practice death and die several times. Our daughter incurred some brain damage from this. Not that it was an issue in our case. She ended up dying and reviving herself with agonal breathing one more time before she finally passed. The process took eight hours. Now that I have seen someone die and come back, I fully understand why people created zombie mythology and otherwise invented paranormal explanations for these things. I saw this with my own eyes and I still don't believe it. Number 5 I'm still working on my license so I'm not officially a funeral director and embalmer yet but I've been going to the medical examiner's office to practice embalming with my school for several months now. The people we work on down there are not in very good shape, usually dead at least a month before we get to see them. Each week we raise a minimum of six arteries. Plus, the radios if there's some trouble getting fluid distribution to the hands and forearms. To put into perspective, a typical funeral home case would only need one, maybe two arteries depending on the embalmer's preference. There aren't a lot of creepy or bizarre cases that stick out in my mind, but uncomfortable things definitely come up. Whenever there's a young person on the table, it's sad. The degree of the comp can lead to a lot of difficult nights, the smell alone can really get to you. The thing that always spooks me, though, is when I'm raising an auxiliary artery. The site that we look for in the area directly distal, towards fingers away from the body mass to the armpit. There are a lot of tendons and such in there as well. When you're holding the person's arm up, digging around near the tendons, sometimes their arms will move. It happens a lot, but I still get momentarily terrified when the person grabs me. Number 6 I worked as an autopsy lab assistant at a local medical examiner's office on the night shift. This usually meant I was working alone at night between two freezers stocked with various bits and remains of individuals, unless a doctor needed to do a late night autopsy for religious purposes, or an investigation or police officer needed to fingerprint a body. We only got those whose cause of death needed to be verified and usually meant we got the interesting cases. Interesting job, so ask away.
the ones that really annoyed or bothered me after a while. Well, annoyance is part of the detachment and making it just a part of the job on my end. I'm seeing up to a hundred fresh corpses a week. Where the individuals that were extremely obese, maybe 500 pounds or so. The one that sticks out is a woman that was 510 pounds and was hit by a car and ejected at high speeds and then hit by an 18-wheeler. Having to pull parts of a dude out of a bucket and piece them together like some macabre jigsaw puzzle was a very interesting second day as well. A suicide via crossbow was pretty cool, as you don't really see that every day. However... The most interesting was a murder via katana. We were all super interested to see what that looked like and it turns out it was one perfect stroke through the ribs into the heart. We joked about a master ninja hunting the city for a few weeks. There are much more crazy ones but it would be way too easy to identify my area from them and families don't need that head and heartache. The worst is always decomposing bodies and water finds. It is the worst smell of the bunch by far. And the spongy, soupy texture bodies get from long times in aquatic environments is the absolute worst. They tend to burst everywhere when you cut them open too. It was a sad job most of the time and we only got those that suffered a violent death that needed investigation. Lots of children and people that were clearly failed by society. Number 7 I spent some time picking up bodies for the medical examiner. There are many stories, some of my own, some those who I worked with. One which is usually popular is that of a woman who died on her own in the reservation town. We arrived and the cop on the scene was quite disgusted with the place. He was looking forward to be deployed back to Afghanistan to get away from his town. The house when we arrived was an older house with several stories. The fence outside had been driven through by a car at some point. It was night, of course. We entered the house and it was complete mess. She was obviously a bit of a hoarder. I've seen much worse hoarders in the job, but she was on her way there. There was stuff piled everywhere. You couldn't tell what the floor was actually covered in because of all of the garbage and paper and stuff around into the floor. Probably hardwood underneath as it felt so much solid, but tough to say for sure. The second floor was up at a spiral staircase. Great. And she was upstairs. Before we went up there, the cops told us that the dogs had got her a little bit. We worked our way up the spiral staircase to the door that he had indicated she was behind. When we opened the door, there was a body sitting in an office chair facing the door. However, it was a skull on the top of a body. The dogs had eaten all of the skin off her body. They also ate her breasts and the implants from her breasts were on the floor. She had several small dogs. They had started eating each other before her, so there were bones from at least one, probably two dogs scattered around. She had died and was not able to feed the dogs, obviously, so they turned on each other and then her. 
the guy I was with started freaking out a little bit. It was a fairly disgusting sight, well beyond the average call that we went to. You're trying to figure out how to get her out of the chair. She was decomposed, of course, so she was covered in blisters. The bodies got covered in as they decompose. We have to gather as much of the body as we can, so he grabbed her implants and what was left of her scalp with the hair attached off the floor. You don't want to pop those blisters if you can avoid it. They are very putrid when they leak out. In my partner's state of not knowing what the hell to do with her, he decided that the easiest way to get her out of the chair was to kick the chair out from under her. So he did. She came crashing to the floor and the blisters burst. It was now a horrible mess of oozing pus. We had our portable stretcher as obviously we weren't going to bring the one with wheels up the spiral staircase. We don't generally bring that up staircases at all, really. So we set up the body bag and loaded her in. Of course, some of the fluids and whatnot got on the outside of the body bag. We loaded her into the stretcher and carried her out of the house. She stank up the minivan all the way back to the city. It was winter and quite cold out, but we had to drive with all the windows down to try and survive the putrid odour. Number 8 My first experience at work was when I first started my embalming career. I had just started my shift and was using a restroom in the back when I came out. I heard what sounded like a girl sobbing at the sound of feet shuffling around on the floor. The floor was kind of gravelly and had a distinct sound if you scooted your feet in it. The sound was coming from around a corner that led into a small room where we would store embalmed bodies ready to be delivered to their respective funeral homes. I figured someone was upset and crying, so I snuck in, still hearing the sobbing. When I peeked around the corner, the room was empty, no living person in there. I noticed that there was only one body in there as well, a young girl. She had shot herself in the side of the head and I... I wasn't scared per se, but I'm... But I'm pretty sure you could audibly hear my heartbeat. Number 9 When I got to work, that is all it was for me. Just a job. I really never had any feelings for the people I've worked on or since that's what I'm there to do and... Of course, I don't know them. But this particular day has been embedded in my head ever since. I had done countless autopsies before without a problem, but came the day I was dreading, an autopsy on a kid. It was a kid no older than a year or so. I was really hard since I have kids myself. As I worked on him, I was getting ready to wrap things up. I turned around and standing right there was a woman sobbing. I just assumed it was the mother and I told her she couldn't be here. I asked her how she got in but there was no response. She left the room and a few minutes later another body came in a stretcher. It was the woman I had just seen. I guess she wanted to make sure the baby was okay. To this day, no one believes me but I know what I saw. 
number 10. This happened to me in a period of about a month or so. One of the hardest things I have to do in my line of duty is letting the family members in to identify the bodies. One particular day, I had to let some parents in to identify their son who had passed in a car crash. Their daughter waited outside. The lady couldn't handle the pain of seeing her son that way, so she broke out and I told her daughter to take her to the bathroom. Not even five minutes later, they both came back and told me that they heard the young man's voice while they were in the stalls. I didn't know what to say, but I reassured her that he had passed. A few days later, after the incident, I stayed in my office past midnight when the lights started to flicker. Ignoring this, I kept working when I heard a loud, Help me, coming from inside one of the freezers. The same freezer where I had to put the young man a few days ago. Help me, I heard again. I'm Jacob, the voice said. As astonished as I was to hear this, and yes, the man's name was indeed Jacob, I froze in my tracks and decided to open the door. As I suspected, nothing was there but an empty slab. Blaming this on my lack of sleep, I went back to work and nothing happens until the following night. I went to the man's room, which is across the hall from the morgue, and while I was doing my business, I heard a loud shriek come from the room. And yet again, help me, I'm Jacob. I came out as fast as I could and nothing was there. To this day, I wonder what would have happened if I would have asked Jacob what he needed help with. Well, thanks for listening as always. If you made it to the end, comment morgue stories. If you are new and enjoyed, please drop a like and subscribe. If you have any stories of your own, please submit them to the email that has been displayed on screen throughout or in the description where you can find the rest of my social media links. So, have a lovely evening and thank you.